millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Good evening and welcome to the History of Alchemy podcast. I'm Travis Dow. And I'm Pete Coleman from Bohemican.com. So today's podcast is about Hermes Trismegistus. And he's a kind of a central figure for alchemists and, and alchemy in the, in the Middle Ages and, and early Renaissance. Basically, he's a, it's kind of a nebulous, maybe mythical figure. But in short, it's kind of a, it's a combination of the Greek god Hermes and the Egyptian god Thoth. Um, they're both, they have some things in common. So, so the Greeks would associate Hermes with Thoth. And um, they're both... They're not exactly the same, but, but they're both the gods of writing and magic. Um, Thoth, in particular, was the god of magic, writing, astrology, alchemy. Um, they both were psychopomps, which means they carried souls to the afterlife, or would kind of escort them to the afterlife. Hermes is equivalent to the Roman god Mercury, and Mercury is also central to alchemy. The, the, the planet Mercury is very important in astrology. Mercury in the sense of quicksilver is, is important to alchemy, obviously. But to, let's, let's dive right into some of the myths regarding... And there, there are actually plenty of myths about Hermes Trismegistus. Um, he was actually placed, according to mythology, in the early days of the oldest dynasties in Egypt, long before the days of Moses, if you can wrap your head around that. Uh, some authorities regard him as a contemporary of Abraham, and some Jewish traditions go far as back as uh, to claim that Abraham acquired a portion of his mystical knowledge from Her- Hermes himself. One of these myths related him, uh, rela- relates to him vanquishing Typhon, the dragon of ignorance, uh, and mental, moral, and physical perversions. So uh, he's a hero of, of uh, you know, intelligence and health. Mm-hmm. Some of the things that we have to look at when we, we think about placing him in these times are the fact that he's a, he was supposedly a contemporary of Moses, yeah. the grandson of Adam, mm-hmm. and the builder of the Egyptian pyramids. Uh, busy, so he's got a, a very busy CV. Um, you know, yeah. I think he'd be hired anywhere, if you will. Uh, at the same, in the same way as Hermes Trismegistus, uh, Imhotep and uh, Amenhotep uh, uh, defined or were defined as gods of wisdom and medicine. Basically, their understanding of science and the Ptolemaic period. So, uh, a very influential period of Egyptian history, mm-hmm. and uh, Trismegistus is wrapped up right in, in that uh, mythology. So the. Yeah, the, the Ptolemaic period. So this is, um, some of our listeners might not know that, so, so Ptolemy was one of Alexander the Great's generals, right? So this is, it's, uh, and then he started a dynasty of Egypt, which Alexander the Great conquered. So we're talking about Egypt, but this is where the combination of Greek and Egypt comes from, because they had Greek rulers, the last of which was Cleopatra, and um, so they, they would speak Greek, but at the same time they tried to incorporate, you know, just like we talked about Hermes and Thoth, for instance. Like they would try to overlay the Greek gods with the Egyptian gods when they could. Um, so like when you mentioned Imhotep and Amenhotep being um, kind of deified 
Um, those were not gods per se, but they were like prophets. So they, they worshipped Hermes Trismegistus and, and these others um, as gods, but they acknowledged that they were prophets or some kind of important um, people. Um, some of the, the oldest writings we have that were referred to Hermes Trismegistus have to do with their, their Hellenistic writings, so, so Greek writings, um, and that so they they include like Greco-Babylonian astrology, and at that time the newly developed practice of alchemy, which definitely has its roots in Egyptian um, uh, times. Like, but but then the Greeks took it over. Um, it has a lot of it has a lot to do with Gnosticism later on, like, you know, let's say first is the third centuries AD. We'll, we'll get more into that in a second. Um, but but the, the central thing of alchemy, this transmutation, which we, we talked about uh, last episode. So, the, like in this case, it's the personal ascension from the constraints of the physical being to, let's say, the afterlife, right? So think pharaohs, um, uh, just, you know, the afterlife in general. So you, so you die, you pass on, but your soul is transmutated, right? So many Christian writers, and this is what I think is really interesting, is that many Christian writers, including uh, Lactantius, Augustine, uh, Giordano Bruno, Marsilio Ficino, um, there's, yeah, uh, Pico della Mirandola, who we'll talk about later in a, in a future episode. Um, and some even say uh, Zoroaster and Plato might have considered... Um, okay, so for him to be actually among, a, a prophet. Yeah, among... Uh, they also sometimes... What I mean is they sometimes wrote about Zoroaster and Plato in this way, that they would be a prophet um, kind of predicting the coming of Christ. Um, and this gets really interesting. We'll, we'll talk about Kabbalah in a future episode, but there's also Christian Kabbalah where they, um, like, they say that through this numerology and looking at certain words, um, it Kabbalah can prove that Christ was the Messiah, which is a you you know, know, th- an interesting idea. To that get is into, interesting. There's, all, there's things that even happen in the 20th century where people would take this numerology of the Bible. And add up things to say when the end days. I think yeah. I think I saw saw a documentary on that. Exactly. This is this is something that's been age after age kind of rears Mm -hmm. its head again. That the Bible's a a code book of sorts, other than um, wonderful uh, stories and and ideas about uh, about religion. uh, That it has some mystical meanings to it. But yeah, that's. Yep. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll actually we'll have an episode on that for sure. It's, it's pretty interesting stuff. And uh, so some of these alchemists really delved into that, and that's kind of the core of their philosophy. So um, we, we will talk about that. Um, so, so Hermes Trismegistus. Trismegistus is often referred to as thrice great, or the great, the great, the great, or depending on which writings. And uh, he's mentioned a lot uh, going back into B.C. So um, even if some of the writings that we today have comes from a later period, he was mentioned before. Um, There's a couple of philosophies there, like why is it thrice great? One is uh, that the wisdoms is alchemy, astrology, and theurgy, like the, the, call it magic from God or knowledge of God. Um, Or... Um, that he was a philosopher, greatest priest, and greatest king. So, you know, the great, the great, the great. Then his... So, when we talk about Hermetica, 
or um, we'll mention some some uh, some things called Hermetica. But generally, what that means is the works written by him. So he was mentioned um, pretty early on by. I might butcher this name, Lam- Lamblicus and Metheno, uh, Egyptian priest who wrote kind of the Egyptian history of Greek. But, um, well, what is Hermetica? Well, it, Hermetica, in, in short, is comprised of 42 books. Uh, and it's, it's about the occult in general. Yeah. If you had to sum it all up, things like astrology, the, theological, the, uh, physio, um Philosophical, uh, medical, law, alchemy, music, geography—you name it. Specifically, mm-hmm. magic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. So yeah. we talk about the cult. That's what we're talking about. And most mysterious thing known to man. Yeah. Women. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the great enigma, if you will. Yeah. I, I doesn't surprise me that that would be part of it. Um, these writings were actually probably written around the time of the first to third centuries common era CE. So yeah. uh, that's something to kind of give you an idea about the placement of history. Yeah. Um, pretty much at the time when Christianity was just getting going, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, Europe was uh, you know, in, in, a, in a time and place where the Roman Empire was starting to have its downfall, and uh, a lot of changes were happening uh, in yeah. the Mediterranean era, as well as North Africa, because of the, yeah. the Roman downfall. So, a very influential era. Yeah, that's, era. that's, yeah, that's in a really important time period. Um, so, before when we mentioned, like, um, contemporary of Moses, or, uh, you know, grandson of, grandson of Adam... The actual writings that we can kind of date is from the first to third centuries A.D. or, or, or C.E. And just to, to, to kind of give them a, a, you know, talk about how they are written or what form they are written, is they're, they're often in kind of dialogues like Plato, so kind of philosophical uh, discussions, you know, between two people, normally between Hermes Trismegistus himself and somebody else. Were they more very Socratic? As it, as Something it, like that, that yeah. answers are found exactly. with questions. Yeah. So what exactly. do you think that means? <laughs> yeah, which is a little frustrating for most people when yeah. you get taught in that direction. Socratic behavior, but yeah, but that's yeah, but that's a good way to kind of explore an issue. Sure. You know, have kind of two fictional people or two Very historical Greek. people. Yeah, Very Greek. yeah, kind yeah. of to talk. So, and uh, you just mentioned a lot of different topics, like uh, you know, so medicine, law, but then also alchemy and magic, right? So, generally, the Hermetica is broken up into two parts. It's often called the popular part or the philosoph- philosophical part, which mostly deals with a cult. Um, like astrology, uh, magic, alchemy, and then the learned or technical parts, which um, often reflect beliefs in the Roman, in the older Roman Empire, which is interesting. So, um, like you know, from the first century A.D. So that could be medicine, law, that kind of thing, but clearly from that time period. So not necessarily what we would consider medicine or law. Um, but what we're interested here for the sake of this podcast is the popular or philosophical part. So magic, alchemy, astrology, and that included potions. Um, and this is what was really, um, what really interested the medieval alchemists. Um, and, and in a very practical sense. So they, were, they, they thought that he had the secret to gold. Um, so, for example, there, you've heard hermetically sealed. So that can refer, there's a couple of theories. Either that's saying, so this is secret knowledge, that the knowledge is so closed off that it's hermetically sealed. Or uh, it can mean that 
yeah, like the closed nature of writing. So it's, it's um, you know, it's secret, so it's hermetically sealed. Or it can mean something to magically protect an object. So it's hermetically sealed, as in it's magically protected. So, so you're, you're telling me that when something is sold to you as Tupperware, if you will, as hermetically sealed. Magic. That it's supposed to, magic is supposed to keep your, it's your magic. food safe. My food stays fresh. <laughs> your mac and of, cheese is what you're telling me will not go yeah. bad due to the occult magic of hermetic. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. So, unfortunately, um, there there may have been older books. Uh, you know, I'm willing to bet there was, but but uh, most of those books were lost in the Library of Alexandria and uh, other such. Um, Thanks, Caesar. Especially, well, <laughs> yeah. There, there was, um, of course, when the. When the Christians finally uh, became the majority in the Roman Empire, they had a great part of burning some of these heretical, hermetic books as well. So, um, but the central, the most important uh, book or, or hermetica, let's say, is the Emerald Tablet. Yeah. All right. So the Emerald Tablet is one of the more profound legends in Hermetica. Uh, they say it's found in a cave clutched in Hermes' hands by Sarah, the wife of Abraham. Okay. Okay. Uh-huh. I don't think I missed that in Bible class. But still, I yeah. think that's yeah. is part, of the, it's part of the legend. Um, it would reveal the secret of primordial substance and transmutations. So um, mm-hmm. it would be maybe, the, if you can't, I don't want to, you know, give you a, a cross section of this but maybe the Rosetta Stone of the occult mm-hmm. uh, some people might look at the Emerald Tablet as such, as such a thing. It first showed up in the 10th century. Um, some say as early as the 7th century but circulate, circulating around uh, the 13th and um, after translated into Latin by the year 1140 yeah. AD. So yeah so alchemists knew of it for sure by then. So the, the Emerald Tablet uh, is really uh, from the, the words Phoenician or Arabic into Persian, Turkish, mm-hmm. Hebrew, Russian, and finally into English by none other than Isaac Newton. Yeah. So there, there's uh, a pretty wide... You, you think that the Bible's been widely uh, translated into many different languages. So was the Emerald Tablet. Um, it was actually found uh, by Alexander the Great in Hebron, uh, again, steeped in mysticism and mythology. Um, mm-hmm. So here's this one of the youngest conquerors of the world and Alexander the Great um, yeah. conquering nation after Which nation. Even that, that's probably just a story. But, I would have but, to say so. Yeah. I, I think we would have heard a lot more about that uh, through yeah. Alexander's exploits. But still, nonetheless, wherever you see the Emerald Tablet, there's usually going to be some sort of uh, connection to a well-known person uh, to, to add some validity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and another thing um, that I'm sure you've heard of before is the caduceus, which is the symbol of hermeticism, and um, you've seen it. It's it's like two snakes spiraling upwards with kind of wings at the top, and it's often confused with the rod of Asclepius, which is the medical symbol. See, that's where I thought you were going, because I have seen the medical symbol yeah. with the two Well, stars. actually, so it gets confused so often that sometimes the hermetical one gets used as a medical symbol. Um, there's like the one in the army corps, they just plain use the wrong one. So at this point, they're both, um, and it's, they're not both. They're not wrong because Hermes was also god of medicine, among a thousand other things. So um, you know, in fact, in fact, Hermes, the Greek god, like he, that just that was a generic word for god in the ancient, ancient Greek days. So I mean, sure, okay, why not? You know, use both um, to get into. 
so what Hermeticism actually is, like the, what the philosophy is, and it, it wasn't so much an organized religion in the sense, but um, it very similar. I mean, so what it was is is a kind of a fusion of Eastern religion, religious elements, let's say, and sometimes very similar sounding to like Neo-Platonic beliefs, Stoicism, um, Gnostic beliefs, like there's a huge overlap with Gnosticism. If, if you read about Gnosticism and you know what Hermeticism is, sometimes you think you're reading that. Um, kind of Neo-Pythagorean philosophies, um, there's even some aspects like the way that you ascend to heaven is very rep- reminiscent of like the Kabbalah's tree of life. So there's a lot of these esoteric beliefs that are kind of central. And that's, that's one of the reasons that we, I wanted to talk about or do an episode on this is that in future, I mean, there, it's almost impossible to come across an alchemist and say they don't have a hermetic core. So it's, it's just good for our listeners to, to know, you know, what I mean when I say hermetic core in almost every single podcast. So, um, and, and we'll talk about Kabbalah, we'll talk about Neoplatonism, um, and all of those just have so much in common. Um, Neoplatonism especially, so what, what that has in common with Hermeticism is that Hermeticism believed in a kind of a Neoplatonic importance of God uh, and they even call it the all or the one, which probably come directly from Neoplatonism. Um, they also had the four elements, like air, earth, fire, and water, which Aristotle mentioned a lot. So, um, you know, has a lot in common with just other ancient Greek belief systems. And then, so at its core, at, at the Hermetic's core core, is the Prisa Theologica. So, an original, kind of untainted, like really, like pure knowledge, let's say. And it was, you know, kind of esoteric in nature. Um, and, you know, supposedly compiled in ancient times in Egypt. And so just the, just like think just pure wisdom, you know, and just undiluted form. Was, was it and, wisdom for anybody, Travis? Or was it wisdom well, for Well, there, there was an esoteric sense, like... Uh, yeah, I don't want to say secret society, but like, because um, that, that idea, there's definitely hermetic secret societies much, much later. Um, but yeah, a sense that maybe not everybody could handle it, or that with, with wisdom comes power, so, you know, something to be guarded. It, it sounds a little right? bit like Gnosticism. You know, it, it, yeah, of, of oh man, it is. Yeah. This information is only for a select few because the rest of the, the rest of the poor slobs in the world can't. Yeah, handle maybe it. you can't handle it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, Interesting. <laughs> I'm not sure I can handle it. <laughs> um, but but yeah, so so definitely Greek uh, or you know let's say even more so Ptolemaic Egyptian in origin. So this Greek Egyptian influence, and then when that era fell, it was still cultivated by Arabs. Um, then in, not until like medieval times there were some Arabs that kind of went against it saying well this isn't, this isn't like Muslim belief this is something else um, but it was still cultivated by Arabs um, as was alchemy and then through them reached the west um, in, in various waves and even, even before the renaissance even before the collapse of Constantinople um, and the, the reconquest of Spain and all that so, so it did filter through um, and uh, actually, probably one of the very next episodes will be about uh, Albertus Magnus, who's a Catholic saint, but also studied um, 
he would have, if you say he studied hermeticism, he would call you a liar. But he maybe didn't know it so much, but, but he did. And because um, he also, he's, he studied kind of Arabic academic stuff, and there was just some of this hermeticism mixed in, whether he knew it or not, or liked it or not. Um, but um, so, so to come back to what the philosophy is, so it it's definitely has the idea of the development of the soul, which again is, you know, you can talk about transmutation, right? And then what's central, what, what is mentioned in the Emerald Tablet is as above, so below, which is central to astrology, as central to, um, man, all kinds of, like Neoplatonic beliefs, again, Gnosticism. So the microcosm of man is reflected in the macrocosm of God. Okay. Right? I, so okay. as above, you, so below. You got to right? say that one more time. <laughs> There's a lot going on. So, yes. Yeah, so... <laughs> Right. Well, well, okay. So, for, to give you an example, that's how the, the stars or the heavenly bodies can affect us, right? As above, so below. So, what's written up in the sky, this is not my personal beliefs, this is like astrology, right? Okay. Okay. So, um, so, the macrocosm of God, the great cosmos, affects the microcosm of man, right? So, that's, so there's... Um, it it uh, some of these beliefs can get kind of funky. Um, well, there's also there's also some like, line in this. I mean, you, you, there's also the, well in Christianity, what, what is what is um, what is on earth is as well as in heaven. Yeah, uh, the, yeah this constructs right. as well. So I mean, yeah. um, there are connections between what we consider heavenly bodies and what we consider yeah. here on earth. Well, yeah. So so I mean, yeah. Isaac Newton wrote about this, but he was really an occultist. But even Al- Albertus Magnus. Um, because I was just doing some reading on him, and uh, so he's definitely—I mean, he's a Dominican monk. I mean, a friar. He's—he's he's definitely a Christian, you know, the old-school Catholic. However, he had a belief. Um, so astrology at this point was just common science. They—they didn't—they didn't know any better, or they—you know—not. I don't want to insult any uh, people that that tie, uh, that you know buy into that philosophy, but. Um, at that time, astrology just simply was fact. So even, even in the Catholic Church, um, what Albertus wrote, and this influenced all future astrology, um, was that, so God imposes his will on earth, right? However, there's these heavenly bodies in the way, like the planets, the stars, sun and moon, and these affect God's will. So God's will, by the time it gets to us, is kind of tainted, Right, so, so by reading, or, or sometimes muted by the yeah. by things in the way, such as planetary bodies. Exactly. Or, so, so yeah, okay. you know, um, maybe the gravity affects it. I don't know. But in any case, by reading the stars, you can then um, be aware of that, and you can counteract that. So you say, oh, it's going to be a full moon. Um, this temptation will be stronger. So I need to say that extra Hail Mary. You know, so so even in Christian thought, they took that serious, and this was, you know, one person's writing, you know, in the 13th century, but but still, so so this is all central, and it, you know, it, this this as above, so below, it's in the Emerald Tablet, like I said, but you'll find that in all of these beliefs, um, very similar thoughts in Kabbalah as well, and then another thing is the dichotomy of good and evil. So just like. Zoroastrianism, um, uh, of course, Christianity. Um, in fact, uh, so Hermetic Hermeticism says there's there, they go beyond this and say there's there's like white and black magic, uh, like good magic, which is theurgy, and dark ma- like evil magic, which is uh, I'm, I'm going to butcher this, but Goetia, Goetia, something like this. 
Um, is, is that common for like as we we talk about witchcraft um, that there's white magic or there's white witchcraft and there's black witchcraft? Well, as far as spells, I, I would say even even back in medieval days, if if you talked about black magic, a lot of it came back to this, okay. and that probably comes back to the third century, like kind of Neoplatonism, um, because Aristotle, like the Catholic Church, studied studied Aristotle, and. Um, Inadvertently, I'll, I'll say that if you study Aristotle and you study some of the wider writings out there, um, you're inadvertently studying Neoplatonism. So even if you don't know that, you just think, oh, I'm studying Aristotle. Like mm, Some of this was written 500 years after Aristotle was dead and written by, written by Neoplatonists who were really closely related to Gnosticism. Or, you know, so it, it all ties in. Um, Another belief, and this, I, I couldn't find a bunch of sources on this, but possibly even reincarnation. Um, so it was just, it was mentioned somewhere, and, and you know, again, some of these writings, it, it wasn't one author. Hermes Trismegistus, if he was a real person, um, by the time that we get the Hermetica, it was written by all kinds of different people. Um, so the beliefs are not necessarily consistent, or you know, it's you get different theories out there, and this spanned centuries, so clearly different thoughts at different times. Um, yeah, to to kind of jump ahead a little bit, you know, I we, I don't think we really want to go too far ahead in the centuries because things kind of uh, get a little little murky um, uh, and get away from some, some of the point that we're looking at. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we don't want to really go go into the 19th century orders that sprang up from all this, but we, we do need to sort of talk about that. That There are some inter- interesting stories in their own right uh, that involve Aleister Crowley and his right. wars of magic, uh, but not... Uh, but you know, we're, we're, again, we're not really after that in these particular podcasts for History of Alchemy. Um, the orders that we alluded to include rituals and resemble Freemasonry, um, which may be a, another story we could talk about on uh, some other short shows about how that relates. Uh, they were sometimes founded in uh, Rosicrucians uh, and incorporated in other occult beliefs like Kabbalah, uh, which, mm-hmm. which we have already talked about, and I'm sure we'll probably dive in it at some point again. Uh, yeah. But uh, it, So this does have a, a spring effect where it kind of deviates uh, from what we're talking about tonight um, and uh, morphs into something else throughout the centuries. Yeah. Uh, but like you said, we were talking about this before the show, Travis, when you kind of look at something from the 17th, 18th, or 19th century when mm-hmm. it comes to Hermetica, you got to kind of take it with a grain of salt because it's not really the same it's, type. It's a different beast. It's yeah. a different beast, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, like Aleister Crowley, it's actually like the order that he belonged to for a short time before he had his wars on, you know, magic wars. Um, but it was called the, the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, and, and they still exist. I mean, they're, they're still around. But it was founded by Rosicrucians, so, you know, totally different, different kind of thing. And um, so there's definitely believers uh, in Hermeticism today. Um, and they're more kind of... Uh, you know, practice practitioners of magic and this kind of thing, and in very different sense, I would say than than the alchemists that we're going to focus on in the medi- medieval days. I mean, the the bottom line is that there's there was a lot of hermetic writings that popped up in the 18th century, and there's, there's just too many of them for them all to be genuine. It, you know, that's the bottom line. So so if if you prescribe to one of those orders, you know, that's great. I know there's a lot of them out there. Um, it's really interesting stuff, but but our focus is really more the alchemist, middle, you know, kind of 
Middle Ages, Renaissance, and um, you know, then the, the influence on early modern science. So, 19th century, you know, that's that's you know, you could do a whole another show, podcast show on on that on that whole thing. Um, so that kind of wraps it up for this week. I have one correction for from last week, or rather, um, kind of some details that I I went through my notes and I found. Um, my original source. So we talked about those two Nobel Prize winners that to hide their gold, uh, their Nobel Prizes from the Nazis, they gave it to a chemist who threw them in this agua regia, this, this acidic thing that dissolved the gold. And so it actually, so I found that original story because we were kind of vague on the details, right? And so when the war was over, the chemist uh, was able to get the gold back out from the acid, and then they gave that back. So it was a lump of gold, like we thought. Yeah, we kind of think it was but, a, a bad deal. They would be giving back a lump of gold. <laughs> however, yeah. So, so that part we got right. But then they went back to the Nobel Committee and they recast the prizes. So they did get for their them. they for did them. get their Nobel prizes back. <laughs> and the source from that was uh, Dan Lewis's daily newsletter that I subscribe to. is called Now I Know. Um, which is yeah, there's some pretty interesting stuff in there. So every time they mention alchemy, you know, obviously I gotta I gotta take some notes there. Um, yeah, uh, the the one for this week, I kind of I kind of scoured all my books at home. It's it's interesting. They all have something on hermeticism. Any any uh, you know, I have a, uh, so there's Merriam-Webster's Encyclopedia of World Religions, Alchemy by Stanislav Klosowski de Rola. Uh, Rosemary Ellen Guiley's Encyclopedia of Witches and Witchcraft. Um, I use some sources on Wikipedia, some other um, websites, just to get a kind of a, an, an overview. Um, just, just, yeah, every book on alchemy is going to start with this. Um, one of them, and I don't think I listed it, but but one of them actually, oh, because I didn't, I didn't use the, but it actually had Isaac Newton's translation of Emerald Tablet, tablet and had a different, a different translation from Latin. So, um, yeah, it kind of, in fact, that book started and ended with the Emerald Tablet. So it's if you study alchemy or if you start looking into this, this is kind of um, the core, like the heart of it. So in Western alchemy, not Indian or, or, or Chinese alchemy, but um, if, if you don't understand this, it's harder to describe some of the later concepts that we'll talk about. In other words, this so, is your, your vegetables that you had to eat tonight, folks. That's right. This is, this is <laughs> this, the broccoli. You go right and, to the dessert. You had to yeah. have the broccoli first. So now that's out of the way, and, you're a little wiser yeah, I mean, it's, and healthier. Yeah, it's, it, right? it's interesting. And, and I think we'll expand on this uh, when we kind of compare and contrast it to Kabbalah or Neoplatonism, or um, when we talk about astrology, I'll, I'll definitely do an episode on astrology because those those two go hand in hand. So it's so you'll you'll get some kind of you'll get a broader picture as we move along. But um, yeah, so hopefully you kind of have a. I mean, this is nebulous. Uh, you know, who is Hermes Trismegistus? I don't think we still know, but um, uh, at least you've heard some of the kind of myths out there. So thanks for, thanks for listening. Check out uh, historyofalchemy.com. It's kind of a, a Wikipedia format of, of all this alchemy stuff that, I'm, that we're doing. Um, this episode and others will be on historyofalchemy.podhoster.com. And then email us with feedback, questions, corrections, um, suggestions, if you have ideas, to podcast at historyofalchemy.com. And yeah, we'd love to hear from you. You know, we also have another show, uh, a show that I run that's connected to my blog, bohemican.com. It's uh, 
the Bohemian podcast. So we definitely want to have you over there. I'd like to invite you over to that program as well every two weeks. It's all about uh, Czech history and interesting Bohemian tidbits and my life here in the Czech Republic. Also, uh, you can take a look at us at bohemian.podhoster.com. Uh, when you come by, come by the blog, you'll find a hodgepodge of what it's uh, like to be here in the Czech Republic, and I think you'll find it very interesting uh, and see what we're up to here in Prague. So we'll be back every two weeks. Thanks very much for listening. Yeah, thanks. Need new glasses or want a fresh new style? Warby Parker has you covered. Glasses start at just 95 bucks, including anti-reflective, scratch-resistant prescription lenses that block 100% of UV rays. Every frame's designed in-house, with a huge selection of styles for every face shape. And with Warby Parker's free home try-on program, you can order five pairs to try at home for free. Shipping is free both ways, too. Go to warbyparker.com covered to try five pairs of frames at home for free. warbyparker.com covered.